everybody's on the same page. Also, last announcement, February the 13th, that is uh, the second Monday of February. Uh, we, are, we have our core ministry training. We will not have prayer meeting on that month, but we will have core ministry training at 630. Uh, this has become, we are moving this into the mandatory category for anyone who is involved in any of the core ministries here at the church, Sunday school teaching, if you're a praise singer, uh, if you're involved in the media, if you're involved in our guest experience, uh, if you're greeting people at the door, we want you to be in this meeting so that uh, we can give you the proper tools uh, of influence for the kingdom of God. We want to make sure we give you the proper training. And it is also open, not mandatory, but open to anyone else in the church who wishes to have a greater uh, grasp on influencing uh, your community, your family, the people that you are around, uh, better toward the kingdom of God. Uh, the principles we teach are here will be will be biblical, but it is mandatory for anyone. Uh, so we're asking you to support that if you're involved. That will be the 13th, and that class will meet bi-monthly. So if it is an even month, then core ministries is involved in it. That's everybody that's involved from the guest experience down to teaching Sunday school. Uh, and you, of course, know if you signed a core ministry contract, you signed that uh, just in the fall of last year. So uh, we, we want you to be aware that that is coming up on the 13th. Uh, I also, I'm going to get my glasses. I also am glad to announce, um, we, we love our students when they go to Bible college. We're, we're glad, we're so thankful they receive such training and such things that are there. It's a, kind of a spiritual utopia where everything, every prayer meeting is off the wall and every service is, you know, uh, then young people get together, students. But we're thankful to have Jimmy and Liberty uh, back with us uh, in service today. We're glad to have them. And uh, we're also, we're also uh, thankful that we'll be seeing them uh, on a more permanent basis after council and sitting with them in prayer. We have decided that uh, them being here is uh, the best thing for them in their current walk with God. And so we're glad that they, we're, we're, we're saddened that they're not going to get that stuff from Bible college, uh, but that'll be there. You know, if the Lord tarries, that'll be there. And uh, we're glad to have them back with us after sitting with them, praying, counseling, that we feel that them being home now is the best thing for them. Isaiah, or excuse me, Isaiah 26, but Psalm 94 first, verse 22. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock, of my refuge. Isaiah 26 and 3 said, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Verse 4, Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, Yehovah, is an everlasting rock, an everlasting strength. I want to minister today on a very simple topic. The Lord spoke to me early in the week on the rock of ages. The rock of ages. Look at your neighbor and say, we serve the rock of ages. Thank you. You be seated. Approximately in 1762, that was a couple summers ago, a Reformed Anglican minister named Augustus Toplady in the nearby village of Blagden was traveling along the gorge when he was caught in a storm. And without being able to escape that storm, he found shelter in a gap that was in the gorge. 
And while he was there enduring this, this, this tremendous storm, he was struck by the title and scribbled down the initial lyrics to a particular hymn that many in the uh, religious world have come to know. About a hundred years later, Daniel Draper is an English missionary, spent 30 years planting churches and schools in Australia. Then he took a year's furlough in England, and when the time came to return to Australia, he boarded a steamship for London. But a gale hit the ship in the Bay of Biscay, and Draper spent the last hours evangelizing the 250 passengers that were aboard that plane. In the end, only three passengers were rescued. As the ship slipped beneath them into the sea on January 11, 1866, the passengers were heard singing Augustus Toplady's famous hymn in their final moments. While I draw this fleeting breath, they sang, when my eyelids close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne. O rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee, is what they sang as the ship went out from underneath of them. You know, it's interesting how psychologists have studied over the years how two people can encounter the same obstacle, but yet have different diagnosis or have a difficulty diagnosing what's going on. One can go through a difficult medical diagnosis, uh, maybe a di bitter divorce, maybe the death of the loved one, or so on, so forth. And yet, each of them can come out on opposite sides very differently than the other. One person owns his or her pain, while the other person is owned by it. One person becomes better, and possibly the other person becomes bitter. Charles Spurgeon, in 1865, on October 19th, he was 22 years old, he was newly installed as a pastor that would become the largest church in the world. He also had two 10-month-old twin boys at the time. He was preaching to approximately 10,000 people in London's Surrey Gardens when somebody just decided to yell fire. You know, that, that trick that they decide to do. Somebody decides to yell fire. Many people begin to scramble for the doors, but the people coming in were blocking the people from going out, and they were preventing them. All the doorways were blocked with people, and the balcony collapsed under the weight of the stampede, and when it was all said and done, Seven people were dead, and 28 were seriously injured. His text that night was Proverbs 3 and 33, which says, The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. He was so devastated that he would never preach that passage again, assuming that his preaching and that message was the result of what had happened in that building that night. He would never preach that again. In fact, Charles Spurgeon came near to never preaching at all again. For some time, even the sight of the Bible in his own words would cause him to weep. When he finally did step back into the pulpit where he had last preached, painful emotions would flood his soul that never went away. 
25 years after the Surrey Hall disaster, Spurgeon was speaking, and something about the setting triggered a flashback to that night, and it left him speechless for several minutes. Despite his many successes, Spurgeon was marked by melancholy, and he had many bouts with deep depression. I want to read something from a, uh, a book, and I, I'm just going to read this because I, I'm not a good enough typer, and it just saves me some time. So I, instead of saying I quote and unquote, you'll know when I got this in my hands I am quoting. Joseph Merrick was born in Leicester, uh, England on August 5th, 1862. It's difficult to properly diagnose someone who predates modern medicine, but few people have suffered from more physical deformities. All ten of his fingers were useless stubs. His misshapen head was the circumference of a man's wrist. His distorted mouth made his speech almost unintelligible. His right arm was twice the size of his left arm, and his deformed legs could barely support his weight. In 19th century England, there was a perverse yet popular form of entertainment that was called human novelty exhibitions. Joseph Merrick was the headliner in one of these exhibits. Posters pronounced him half man, half elephant. People paid their shillings to see the human freak show. They shrieked in horror at the sight of him. One day a surgeon named Frederick Traves wandered into the human circus. His assessment of Joseph Merrick was similar to everyone else's. I quote, he was the most disgusting specimen of humanity that I had ever seen, the doctor said. But, but Travis didn't shriek away or shrink away. Merrick's physical appearance piqued his scientific curiosity and no small measure of empathy. The good doctor tried talking to Merrick, but he wasn't able to decipher his speech. But he did, however, give Merrick a business card. And it was that business card that London police found on his person when they discovered Merrick huddled in a dark corner of a train station looking like a wounded animal. The police called Dr. Traves, and Dr. Traves took Merrick to a London hospital where he would spend the remainder of his life. One day in a carefully orchestrated experiment, Dr. Traves arranged to have a woman enter Merrick's room, smile at him, wish him a good morning, and shake his hand. Dr. Traves recorded what he witnessed. It was that smile that proved to be the tipping point. The turning point, he, changed, he began to change, the doctor said, little by little, from a haunted thing into a man. Dr. Traves listened to Merrick long enough and, and hard enough to finally decipher his garbled speech. The doctor found that Merrick was both intelligent and articulate. The voracious reader he was of scripture, Merrick had a holy curiosity that encompassed all of his life. Dr. Trave would smuggle him into private boxes of London theaters to watch plays and listen to operas. He gave him books to read. He took him into the countryside where Merrick would love listening to songbirds, chasing rabbits, picking wildflowers. And more than once, Merrick would remark, I am happy every hour of the day. After Merrick's death at age 27, the doctor would eulogize the infamous elephant man this way. His troubles had ennobled him. He showed himself to be a gentle, affectionate, and lovable creature. Without a grievance and without an unkind word for anyone, I have never heard him complain. Never hearing him complain? How is it even possible with that kind of trauma that he experienced in his life? Happy every hour of the day? How does someone 
who was mistreated for so many years profess happiness every hour of the day. And it was Charles Spurgeon who was quoted as giving the answer to how he made it through such emotional trauma. He said, and I quote, you've got to kiss the wave that throws you against the rock of ages. We may not be responsible for what has happened to us, but we are response-able. At the end of the day, our explanations, our viewpoint, are more important than the experience itself. Sometimes the circumstances that we're asking God to change, I'm feeling my help here today. The very circumstances that we're asking God to change are the very circumstances that he is using to change us. And I know if you're in a season of suffering that that's, that's, that can be hard to hear. I don't stand here condemning you or, or, and I don't try to pretend to know the trauma that you're enduring. But I just came from Louisiana where I seen two to 3,000 preachers and their spouses. And there's one thing that I, in that meeting, have left knowing. I do not know everything that you're going through. I don't know and cannot pretend to know all the emotional things that are gripping your mind today. But I do know this. Everyone is fighting a battle that others know nothing about. We've all walked through the valley of the shadow of death. We've all had to run into his protective high tower. And we've all, as the psalmist said, had our tears to be our meat day and night. Every one of us have regrets. We all have deep wells of sadness with emotional scars to prove it. But we've also seen God turn our toughest tests into some of our most treasured testimonies. I share with this congregation today, I know it was a time in my life where it was seen very dark. <clears throat> As a backslidden preacher with his family, it walked away from God. God began to speak to me and I made a determination it's time for me to go and be what God made me to be. I told my wife that as I made my way back to the service at More Life Tabernacle and I went in and sat down and, and began to just move my way back into the presence of God. I went back to God but as I went back to God my hesitancy was the fact that everybody that I had ever known where one had gone back to God and one had not everyone that I knew that I could point to that situation ended in divorce. And I didn't want to lose my wife. I didn't want to lose my family. But I knew that I had to go back to God. And so when I went there, I went there knowing certainly in my heart of hearts, in my flesh, that every, all the statistics say we're going to be divorced. And if that wasn't bad enough, the Lord in a season of praying and fasting began to tell me to walk away, to lay down my net. He began to tell me to walk away from my business. It was, the, it was our primary income. It's always been that way. My wife could have went and done that, but by her own, uh, I, I admonished her and lift her up and edify her that she chose to raise our family. And it is a strong staple of why we are what we are today because of that single decision there. But I had to lay down my net, so I went in and had to tell my wife, who was already jaded toward God, toward the church, and toward me, that I'm giving up our income, and I'm doing it that I might follow the Lord. 
You can imagine how I trembled to say that. How I might have been thinking, how in the world am I going to do this? And on top of that, every service that I would attend at More Life Tabernacle. And might I say, I owe that pastor, I owe Bishop Stoner, I owe Josh Aaron, the pastor there, and the saints of More Life Tabernacle. I owe them my life because of the season of help that they gave me in these times. But in every service, I felt powerful remorse. I felt guilt that said, how can you worship God and find joy when your family is lost and you're the one that led them astray how is it that you can say and find joy in the fact that you left Sodom but your family was still there how can you find joy how can you press through how can you begin to raise and call on the name of the Lord when you know that the rapture was to take place that your family's lost you made it back and you might have repented but your family's lost because you left them there tell me how do you find joy there how do you find how do you get out of that deep guilt that weighs on us because of the things we would put upon ourselves listen I would not want to live those services again but I stand here before you and tell you that I wouldn't trade them because I began to understand it was the wave that threw me against the rock of ages every time that I would feel the guilt I'd find my back up against the wall but when I would turn it would not be a wall it would be the Lord himself he would give me my strength he would give me my hope I didn't go to a man when I needed that I didn't go to a church when I needed that I went to God when I needed that I'm here to tell somebody in this building are you thrown today do you feel tossed do you feel yourself between a rock and a hard place look up look back you're being thrown against the rock of ages Your pastor can't do it for you. The singing can't do it for you. I'm here to tell you, if you're in the midst of something you've never been in before, I want to tell you, look back. You're being thrown against the rock of ages. And you want to know the difference between coming out and maybe staying in? Is if we'll learn to do what Charles Spurgeon said, learn to kiss the wave that's throwing you against the rock of ages. I don't like the situation. I don't like going through it. But this thing is not making me me bitter this thing is pushing me toward Jesus it's getting me to lean on Jesus it is time that the church of the living God stop trying to draw people to their programs stop trying to draw people to what's going on in our church. We need to understand it's the rock of ages. If you're up against the rock of ages, might I remind you, according to the scripture, you get honey from that rock. You get water from that rock. Fire comes out of that rock. And if that's not enough, Nebuchadnezzar's vision that he had of the image that Daniel would, would, uh, would, uh, would, would tell him about and would interpret him you know, that head of gold, the chest and arms of silver, the belly of brass, the legs of iron, the feet of iron and clay mix, which represent world kingdoms. But then he said, I seen a rock hewn from a mountain that came, that was made without hands. Oh, my, my, without hands. 
and it smote the image on the feet and the whole thing collapsed. And he said, this is a kingdom which will never have an end. If you find yourself between a rock and a hard place, I want to encourage you to kiss the wave, kiss that situation, grab a hold of it and say, this situation I don't like, but you have turned me to the rock of ages. I'm going to have honey. Somebody needs to hear this. You're going to have honey you've never had before. You're going to experience fire you've never experienced before. I am urging you in this building, don't turn to CAC. We ain't got anything for you except Jesus Christ. Don't don't, don't paint the wrong picture there, but you got to turn to the rock of ages. Somebody's got to rise up and say, there's somebody in the building, there's things happened to you years ago. It's years ago, and yeah, you hated it, and yeah, you got bitter to it, but I want to remind you where you are today. You know why you're here? Because you've recognized I can't let that shit, it's gone on long enough. I've got to get to the rock of ages. He's my only hope. It's not a pastor. It's not a church. It's Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, everything religious that the church has leaned on is a crutch. God, in his abundant mercy, is getting ready to kick it out from underneath us. We've leaned on things too long that aren't him. We've leaned on talent when our forefathers leaned on prayer and fasting. But I got news for you. We're not going out that way. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not doing this thing on talent. There's a shift that's going in the atmosphere because everybody who's anybody who wants to do something for God is realizing how inept you really are and how perfect he really is. Woo! And when you get a hold of the rock of ages, it's not only water for a service, it's not only honey for a day, but you get involved in a kingdom of which there is no end. It's forever. I'm beginning my initial descent. Coming in from 36,000, I'm going to bring her on down. We'll be on the ground, Flint, Michigan, where the weather's snowing and beautiful. And uh, we'll be on the ground in about 20 minutes, 10 minutes, 12, wherever we're at. A contemporary of Charles Spurgeon by the man of name Charles Dickens wrote a book called The Tale of Two Cities. It begins with, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness, it was the epic of belief, it was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness, it was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. We had everything before us, we had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven, we were all going direct the other way. It's more than an epic opening. And I would argue, in my area of literature, I think it's one of the best openings in all of literature. Other than in the beginning God created, obviously that, that's above the rest. But in literature written by the hand of man, I think that's right up there. I remember reading that when I was way back in school, but it has never left me, that epic opening. But it's more than that. It's a truthful take on life. We want the best of times without the worst of times. We want light without darkness, and we want hope without despair. But that isn't reality. Might I take you to Scripture where the Lord laid out at the first Passover 
what would be the reality for his people. He says, you're going to take the lamb, you're going to eat it, but you're going to eat it with a side of bitter herbs. The bitter herbs, as one preacher has said, it's not the main course. It's just the side dish. But I want to tell you, if you feel like you have been, I stand here with the Holy, by the Holy Ghost today. I stand here with an assignment that if you feel like you've been eating bitter herbs, if you just feel like you've been eating the bitter herbs, I want you to tell you that's not your main course. If you just try to put it aside for a moment and somebody turn to the lamb and grab a hold of the lamb, we've got to make the lamb our main course. The lamb is the main course. But he said, he said through all your generations you're going to do this. There's going to be a side of bitter herbs. You're not going to get away from it. One of our favorites in all of scripture is the boys were on their way to the other side where the Lord would do some work and he's sleeping in the back of the boat and a storm rages up and they get all worked up and they say, don't you care that we perish? And the Lord stands up and he says, peace be still. But I would remind us, excuse me, excuse me, we should not forget that he did that because of their lack of faith. Might be be reminded today that the rock of ages is in the boat. And I'm standing here to tell you in the midst of all uncertainty and lies that come from hell that lie to you in your home, they lie to you in your marriage, they lie to you at your job, they've lied to you at this altar, they've told you you can't do it. I'm here to tell you that the rock of ages is in your boat and that boat is not going down with him in it. He, he, he calmed that storm because of their lack of faith. He turned to them and in other words, boys, do you think this boat's going down with me in it? I want you to understand something. Do you really think that it's going down with him in it? You just got to make sure you're in the same boat as him. And might I say this while we are in this area, it's not only you and him in the boat, it's our boat. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm in the boat that you're in. I'm trying to traverse the stormy seas as well. I'm trying to, somebody hear me. I'm trying to find my way as well. Oh, and we should not look down at another brother or a sister. The Bible said, if a brother be overtaken in a fall, you which are spiritual, restore such a one, considering yourself that you're both in the boat together. Depression, isolation is the, is the bedfellow to depression. Young men and young women, let me tell you something. If you're going through something, I don't care if you have fallen. I don't care if you've done something that you are embarrassed to tell your parents about or to tell your pastor about. I am telling you, do not bear that alone. Do not bear that alone because your mom and dad, now your best friend, remember I've told you before, if you have a friend that, 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 whose favorite hymn is, I love to tell the story, that's not the person to go to. That's an old throwback hymn. I love to tell the story. And they, they don't stop at Jesus' story. They stop at any story they hear. 
But listen, young ladies, young men, we've got to understand something. You don't have to bear this alone. You are going through battles, but that battle is not designed to destroy you. That trying is not designed to put to, to make an end to you. It is designed, remember, it's throwing you against the rock of ages. And you let me tell you something, you haven't done nothing that is not common to man. You've not fallen in a sin that mankind has not known about. But I'm here to tell you, we can lift one another up. I'm in the boat with you. I know what it's like to fail. I know what it's like to not endure the test. It's our boat. It's not just you and him in the boat. We're in the boat. The landing gear's down. The scripture says in Hebrews 2, 9, 10, and 11, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Hebrews 2 and 11 says this, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Jesus Christ was not spared by God. And in order to be human, Christ had to partake in the same. Why is he my rock? Why is he the rock? Because he was tried in all points like we, yet without sin. Do you see that's why God did that to Christ? Because there would be you and me who would come into those situations and we would need more than willpower. I'm telling you it's not just willpower, though we use that. It's not just those things. I want to encourage you, your willpower, will you may run out and your ability will run out, but if you will lean, if you will recognize that you are in the cleft of the rock and you're leaning against the rock of ages, you'll understand he knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be tried. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to feel like, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, that's the rock we've got to lean on. He's the lamb. He's the lamb. <laughs> Frederick Buchner in his memoirs, The Death of His Father, sums up what we're looking for here today. He said when it comes to putting lives back together, he wrote this after the death of his father, the human best tends to be at odds with the holy best. To do for yourself the best that you have it in you to do, to grit your teeth, clench your fists, in order to survive the world at its harshest and worst, is by that very act to be unable to let something be done for you and in you that is more wonderful still. The trouble with stealing yourself against the harshness of reality is that the same steel that secures your life against being destroyed also secures and prevents against you being opened up and transformed by the holy power that life itself comes from. So in other words, you want to grab a hold of it, do it yourself, protect yourself, and not let anything in, not let anything be done. When you don't let anything in, I'm here to tell you, you can't let God in. 
Because the only way to really lean against the rock of ages is to open yourself up to the point of vulnerability to the rock of ages and say, I'm opening myself up to something, Lord, I can't handle on my own, but you've been through this and you're the only one that can help. Do you realize that whatever you prevent from getting into your life and you close yourself off and you try to do it with your own grit and your own ability, you're saying, I don't want to let something else inside that is even better for me still. Boy, I don't know if anybody's been there other than me, but we need to understand that truth. And as Charles Spurgeon said, we need to today. There's a God's giving us an answer today. Kiss the situation that has thrown you against the rock of ages. Because it's the situation, some of those things, that are causing us to come to him. And the only way he can transform you is if you allow yourself to be human like he had to be human. But we close ourselves and we prevent those things. But whatever you're stealing yourself against also closes you out to the ability of the spirit from which life itself comes from of transforming you. The only way to get over your hurt is to be hurt. Oh, hallelujah. Hope we just raise our hands here before we finish this up. Let me tell you something. You're in this building. Keep, keep raising those hands. You're in this building today or you're listening online or you're listening on the radio. And I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you that, that God has sent a messenger your way today. Kiss the wave that has thrown you into the rock of ages. You can go ahead and keep it yourself and do it all yourself, but you will not finish this race in your own accord. And I think we need to come down off of our self-righteousness. I've stood here before you. I can empty out my closet of skeletons here today. And I can do it with things that I would not be embarrassed about. But you would be shocked at what some people have had to go through. And how they've had to reach way down inside the rock of ages to grab their strength. You're not the only one who lays up, wait, lays up at night concerned about this and concerned about that. You're not the only one that the devil's telling you it's over with. You're not the only one who's telling you you'll never make it out. You're not the only one. I'm telling you, kiss the situation. We want to be self-sufficient, but therein lies the trap. Especially us men, we want to, I'm going to lead my family, bless God, right into death. Because of our pride, we want to be self-sufficient, but therein lies the trap. Because our sufficiency is only in the grace of God. I'm closing. Stand with me if you would all over this building. We're not here by accident today. When the Lord spoke this to me early Monday, it was a different direction than I had intended to go, but this is the direction I felt that, that we needed to go. And throughout my week, God confirmed again and again of what he wanted to do today. Before we play any music, before we, before we play, because I want everybody to do this, even our musicians, those who are going to sing, I would like everybody in this building to just close your eyes. and I would like for you to recall a time where the clouds blocked out the sun, a time when you were tossed about and you looked bleak. 
It looked bleak, everything. But the Lord brought you through it. You got that in your mind? You might want it didn't look good and the Lord brought you through it. I wonder if you might raise your hand. Just give the Lord a little bit of thanks for that right here. And say, Lord, I, I remember when that happened in my life, but you brought me through it. You brought me through it. <laughs> now what I would like for you to do, now what I would like for you to do is I would like for you to look at your current circumstance. I would like for you to listen to that giant that's in that valley that's breathing threats against you right now in your life. The current circumstance. And I would like for all of us to recognize one thing. That circumstance is throwing us against the rock of ages. I want to tell this church something. I'm going to be transparent with you and I want to let you know something. My marriage is in the greatest challenge that it's ever been. As a pastor, I'm being challenged in my greatest challenge as a pastor. And let me tell you this, CAC, as a local body, we are in the greatest challenge that we have ever been in before. But I stand to declare, this is what I declare from this platform. As David went to that, that, went to that valley, and he looked at that giant that was his current circumstance, and he said, giant, he said, I, he said, I am telling you this day, you're going to be just like the lion was. You're going to be just like the bear was. Just like they were and God delivered me from their hand, I am assuring you, Goliath, standing right here right now, that God is going to deliver you into my hand. I want you to raise your hand one more time. I want you to think about that glass circumstance that you came out of. Remember how God brought you through it? Remember how he brought you through it? Now look at your current circumstance. And this is what I'm asking. This is what the Holy Ghost is asking us to do. I want you to speak to the current circumstance. That just like it was, but just like the lion before, just like the bear before, this circumstance will find the same fate. It's going to fall at the feet of the Almighty God. It's going to fall at your feet. That's it. Just keep raising your hands. If you want to move from your seat, go ahead and move from your seat. But I don't want to stop this. Somebody needs to intercede. Somebody needs to travail. Somebody needs to speak to that.